Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 286 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about taking off the old and putting on the new. Let's dive in. I recently returned from speaking at a couple different events over the last several weeks. While I was in Ohio, they asked me while I was speaking at this youth conference to speak at the Sunday morning service. And so the theme of the conference was refined, this idea of What does it mean to walk in holiness and righteousness and purity and truth specifically in the days in which we live? Well, for that Sunday morning service, I thought it'd be fun to walk through Ephesians chapter four, looking at this idea of what does it mean when Paul says that we are to take off or to remove our former way of living, that life of sin and that propensity toward evil and darkness, and rather we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I decided it'd be fun to take that message and play it for you here on the podcast. So this episode is a little bit longer than normal, but I think the content and just the concept of what does it mean to put off and to put on is so important in the modern church, in these days in which we live. An increasing burden that I've been having for the modern church is that We've been so lost in the culture, lost just in the garbly gook of of the darkness of our times that we've lost the centrality of Christ and we lost what it means to feel and walk in the conviction of the Lord and actually walk in purity, holiness, righteousness, and truth. Well, this message was deeply stirring and convicting to my own life, and I pray it'll be the same for you. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 17 down to verse 24. But here's a message that I preached just a couple of weeks ago on putting off and putting on. Carson mentioned this, but we've been working through this idea of refinement and what does it look like to actually mold and shape after the image of God? Isn't it interesting that so oftentimes when we come, we come to the Lord, we, we experience the radical reality of faith. And for a lot of us, it's like, we're just like, whew, (laughs) I made it. I'm good to go. Got my ticket to heaven. And it's like, we just begin to coast. 
Do you realize that biblically there is no coasting in Christianity? Because I'm either progressing in the reality of holiness, I'm either progressing unto Jesus and his likeness, or I'm actually drifting away and becoming more and more like the world. It's interesting as you come to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is setting up a very extreme contrast. He's been talking about the reality of the Christian life down in the realities of your life. Uh, in chapters 1 through 3, he's, he's talking about that your position is in Jesus. And I don't know if you know that, but that is so essential to the faith that, that, that I am not just, I'm living my life for Christ. Woo! Isn't he lucky? See, that's not Christianity. See, Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. Because I can do that all the do's and don'ts, die and still go to hell. See, this is not about, this is not about... This is all about relationship. This is all about intimacy. And God's big agenda in his word, as he says over and over and over again in the New Testament, is that he desires, ponder this, he desires that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. So it's not, oh, I came to Jesus and I'm done. Praise the Lord, I'm just waiting to heaven. This is, whoa, I came to Christ and now he has a lot of work to do in me. Because I've got a lot of selfishness, and I've got a lot of pride, and, and I have a lot of me, and, and I, I have a lot of the world mixed into my thought process, and my, my heart attitude, and my motives, and, and so what is God wanting to do in my life? Oh, he wants to take me, and with his overwhelming sufficiency and his overwhelming holiness, he wants to invade my utter helplessness and my inability to be holy, and he wants to do something in and through me that I, in and of myself, cannot do. Because, folks, we cannot live the Christian life by ourselves. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be smart enough. You'll never be good-looking enough. You, you don't have it within you. Well, how am I going to live the Christian life? Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus, who is life itself, actually came and infused his life inside of you and begin to change radically your life so that you begin to look like him. Now, if you started to live like that, do you know what we'd have to call you? We'd probably have to call you a Christian, wouldn't we? Don't you want to be one? Now, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, again, chapters 1 through 3, he's talked about this reality that you are in Christ. In fact, the twofold reality of Christianity is that Christ is in me and I am in him. Oh, that's phenomenal. And now in chapter 4, he says, oh, let's talk about what that means down on your street. Let's, let's talk about what does that mean in your marriage. Let's talk about what that means down at your, your workplace. Let's talk about what does it mean for you to be a Christian and for your life to be in Christ every moment of every single day. Because Christianity is not, it's a Sunday thing. Yes, we, we gather together and we sing some songs and we hear some loud preacher yell at us. You know, we, we, you know, we put our ties in and woo, we go out and we go live our life. See, that, that's not Christianity. That's a social club. And this is not a social club, folks. This is the body of Christ. And we have gathered together. Why? So that the reality of Christ can be formed within us so that, that we can encourage and edify one another and, and press one another unto Jesus Christ. All right, I'm excited. 
Uh, so what I like to do is I, I want to read uh, verse, uh, this is Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read verse 17 down through verse 24. Just a little section I want to look at this morning about the reality of what does it mean to live in Christ practically in your life. And this is what Paul says. He says, I say and affirm together in the Lord that you walk or live no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, that you lay aside that old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now that is an incredible passage. Do you hear what Paul's talking about? Paul says that all of us, all of us, and, and the... Students taught me this weekend that the Greek word for all means so all of us, without exception, all of us have had a serious problem. Every single one of us. Doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or didn't grow up in the church, every single one of us has had a serious problem. Well, what's my problem? You're just like the world, you're marked with sin. Paul in Romans says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I, I've, I've shaken, I've shook my fist in his face. I've demanded my way and I have lived in rebellion. Well, I grew up in church. I know, but you did this. And Paul says, but you realize that God has done something radically different in your life. Now, I just want to walk through this really quick. But in verses 17, 18, and 19, Paul begins to discuss the reality of the mindset and the lifestyle that we have all lived, which he says in a, it was in accordance with the world. So, so look at this. In verse 17, he says that you are to no longer walk or no longer live just as the Gentiles walk. Do you know who those Gentiles are? Those people out there. Well, but actually, we're all Gentiles, just for clarity's sake. So unless you're a full-blooded Jew, pst, you're a Gentile. But how do the Gentiles live? How does that world out there live? You don't even have to turn on the news. You know how the world is living. The world is full of just garbly gook. That's the spiritual scientific term. I mean, the world is just, the world is so, so self-focused the, the world is so twisted. The world, what used to be right is now considered wrong. What used to be considered wrong is now considered right. I mean, you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. I want to be a giraffe. You, you can be a giraffe, says the world. Folks, that's stupid. And Paul says, look at verse 17. Paul says that you are not to walk. 
You are not to live in the futility of that mindset. I love it. I love what one translation says. He says, do not live in the stupid, foolish stupidity of the culture. Amen. And it's really easy to sit in church and be like, that's right. But we all do it. Isn't it interesting how the world defines success is how we tend to find success? How the world defines comfort is how we tend to define comfort. What the world says that we should enjoy, we tend to enjoy. And Paul says, this is how you used to live. This, is, this should not be the current reality. You used to live in that foolish mindset of the world. Not, not only that, but as you come to verse 18, he says that you have been darkened in your understanding or, or your mind has really grown dark. Why? Because you've been excluded. You've, because of how you've lived, you've been excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, ignorance here is not like, well, I never knew. This is like a willful blindness. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, my, my brother... Uh, my brother was one of those kids that loved to get into trouble. Well, I don't know if he loved to get into trouble, but he just seemed to be always in trouble, so it seemed like he liked it a lot. And my mother tells a story where, you know, she was going to let my brother play out in the front yard, and we lived on a little street in the back neighborhood. And, and so she took my brother, he's probably, I don't know, five, six years old, takes him over to the, our little front yard and says, you see this fence? You do not cross that fence. And then she went over this side. You see this fence? You do not cross this fence. And she walked inside, and she watched out the window to see what he would do. And this was my mother's words. Do you know what that bugger did? He went up to that fence. He just covered his face and started walking. And so my mom runs after him and goes, told you, don't go past the fence. And my brother, I didn't see it. <laughs> Makes sense why some animals eat their young, doesn't it? I just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, that was probably past the line. It does make sense to me, but uh, probably shouldn't have said it. That my brother had a willful ignorance. He knew what he was doing. Do you realize the world does that all the time? The, 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 the word says that God has written truth upon our hearts. So you are without an excuse. So if you're going to go out and you're, and you're going to just live in this myriad of sin, you can't be like, well, I never knew. Because it's in the word. God has written this thing in your heart. So, so what, how's the world living? Well, they're living in this foolish mindset. They're, they're living in this darkened understanding. They're, they're, they're putting their hands over their faces, and, and they're just walking, and they're doing whatever they want to do out of this willful ignorance, which has caused an alienation from the very spirit of the Lord. And then look at this. He says in verse 19, not only all that, but they have become callous, that their hearts have been blinded. Uh, the word in the Greek where it was written it actually means that their heart has become petrified. Do you, 
you realize that you can live in sin for so long that you, you, you don't feel guilty about it anymore? You, you can participate in sin so long that you've ignored the Holy Spirit and suddenly there's just a callousness and you're just like, I don't care anymore. Folks, that's the world. And then not only that, he goes on and says, they have, verse 19, they have given themselves over. Oh, sorry. That was the end of verse 18. Verse 19, they have become callous, uh, which is this idea they've gone past the point of even caring. It is kind of the, in, the emphasis in the, in the passage. But then he says, verse 19, that they've given themselves over to something. So here's the idea. Uh, I have a piece of chocolate cake, and I really like chocolate cake. But out of my love for you, I'm going to hand it over. Do you know what we've done with our lives when we were living like the world? We've taken our lives, we put a noose around our own neck, and we hand ourselves over to sin and just said, do what you ever, hey, do what you want with me. Just lead me wherever you go, where, where you want me to go. It's like, you know how you lead a bull? I, I've never had farm animals, <laughs> so some of you may correct me. But I've been told that if you have a bull, you put a ring in the bull's nose. And if you put a ring in the bull's nose, you can put a little rope through the ring, and you can lead that bull wherever you want it to go. That's what we've done to sin. It's like we, we have put the ring in our nose and said, sin, do, do, what, do with me whatever you want to do. I, I don't care anymore. I've gone past the sense of feeling. My heart has grown hard. My mind has grown dark. I'm already alienated from God. So, hey, sin, will you just lead me wherever you want me to go? And I will just say yes. And we have given ourselves over to sin. In fact, Paul's very specific, not just any kind of sin. We have given ourselves over to sensuality. Which is not just the sexual perversion stuff. It is that. But it's any form of twistedness. That we've just given ourselves over to impurity and, and, and twistedness in, in every arena of our life. And then he says, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So, so not only have I given myself over to sin, not, not only am I just saying, oh, do what you want with me. I have been greedy in sin. I've said, oh, I want more. Oh, that didn't satisfy. I want more. Oh, that really didn't satisfy. Oh, I want more. And I become greedy, greedy, greedy for more sin. Paul says that describes all of us. And at some point in all of our lives, we have, we have wanted what we want, when we want, how we want, rather than him. That we have lived in a self-focused selfishness, which biblically is called sin. That the gaze of our soul has been upon me rather than upon him. That's called sin. That I'm doing things for myself and I'm doing things out of myself and I'm doing things for me and I'm doing... Yeah, I, I may say that I'm a Christian, and yeah, I may attend church, and yeah, I may do these things, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give my head not over to him, but, but hey, I'm going to live my life for me. Folks, that's called sin. And Paul says, that's not who you're supposed to be. That may have been who you once were, but that should not be the present reality of your life. He says in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ this way. I think one of the greatest words in all of scripture has to be the word but. Isn't it? So oftentimes, Paul says, this was your life, but God. 
Praise the Lord for the but gods in Scripture. Hey, my life was full of sin. My, my life is full of selfishness. My, my life is just wrapped up in me. But God stepped in and changed something. Please contain your excitement. Thank you. <laughs> Does that make any sense? If you didn't have the but God, I'd be so wrapped up in all this stuff. I'd be still chained to my addictions and my habits and my thought processes and, and my impurity and all my stuff. But God, while I was yet a sinner, while I was shaking my fist in his face, hey, while I was living for myself and I could give a rip about what he wanted, God stepped into my life and did something. That's phenomenal. Stay seated. And so here's Paul saying, hey, I'm not describing who you are. I'm describing who you were. I'm reminding you what you came out of. It's the whole uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 passage. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, behold, which is a great word saying pay attention. Well, what am I supposed to pay attention to? Old things have passed away, folks. Hey, new things have come. I am a brand new creature. I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. That, that what I was over there, yeah, I may look the same. Yeah, I may smell the same, but I am not the same. Because a line has been drawn in the sand, and I've crossed over that line, and who I am now is not who I once was. But God. Isn't that amazing? And if you've not experienced the but God in your life, you need a but God in your life. That's awkward, but you know what I'm saying. So verse 20 says, hey, I'm describing not who you are, that was your life, but you didn't learn, you didn't learn Christ this way. So you do not learn godliness by living in sin. You, you do not learn Christ's likeness by living in, like the world. I, I do not have a pure thought life because I live in lust. That makes no sense. So I, I cannot have one foot over here, have one foot over here, and call myself a Christian. Because if you're actually going to be refined, if you're actually going to walk in holiness, if you're actually going to be conformed to the image of Christ then this is going to have to cease in your life and he's going to have to put you on a trajectory this direction. Now, are you going to fall in the mud sometimes? Yes. So I'm not talking sinless perfection. I'm saying the radical hold that this has on your mind and your life and your attitude and, and your, your whole being, that has to be severed by the, by the blood and the cross of Christ so that you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus came into your life not to improve it? Jesus is not an improvement to your life. He doesn't improve our lives. He transforms our lives. He changes your nature. See, when I lived in sin, you didn't even have to tempt me with sin. I, just, I would go after sin on my own. I, I would crave this thing. I would just go after this thing. This, this was my life. But in Jesus, I look at that and go, yeah, yeah, I see the temptation, but I have no interest for that. I need Jesus. 
See, something has to change in the inward nature of your life. Does that make sense to you? So in our passage then, Paul again is setting up this contrast between who we once were and who we now are to be in Christ Jesus. And he says you can't learn the Christian life, you can't learn godliness if you keep living in all the junk. I'll tell you, the best way to learn about purity is to watch pornography. What are you talking about? The best way to learn love is to murder people. What are you talking about? You're going to have to give up all that stuff if you want to embrace the reality of Christ. So Paul in verse 20 says, let me tell you about what does it mean to learn Christ. And he gives three specific things in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. So that was all the introduction to get us to this. We might end on time. Maybe. Verse 22, look at this. What does it mean to learn Christ? Verse 22 says that in reference to your former manner of life, that you lay aside or put off the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Paul sets up this neat contrast and uses the language of clothing. I really appreciate the fact that you all got dressed this morning. On behalf of everybody, thank you. <laughs> Haven't you ever noticed that, uh, imagine you guys live in Ohio, right? So you guys get some good winter. Not this year, apparently, I heard that. You guys had like a great winter. But you know, on a normal winter where you actually get snow and all of the craziness, right? You have this big overcoat and you have this big parka thing going on and you're, you're cuddled up inside of it. Paul says that you are to put off that old man, that former way of living, that mindset of the world. And the put off word has this idea of to take that, like it's like a garment, take off the garment and throw it aside. Does that make sense? So Paul says, like an overcoat, take off your sin, take off that old mindset, take off that former way of living, take off that impurity, take off all that used to define you, hey, and throw it to a side. Because we have some new clothing that I want you to put on. But you're to put off the former way of living. Everyone with me? Anybody awake? Okay, three people, good. So I'm to put off, I'm to remove that old thought process, mindset, attitude, sin nature, all that kind of stuff. Now that word to put off or to lay aside, it only shows up, this is going to be exciting for all the nerds, it only shows up eight times in the New Testament. <laughs> all right, I'm the only one, but... Here's why that's really significant. When you look at this idea of putting off, seven times, it's only used eight, but seven times it's used in reference to sin. Put off sin, put off sin, put off sin, put off sin. But one time, one time it's used in a physical sense in the book of Acts with the stoning of Stephen. And the word shows up where Stephen has preached this incredible sermon and it says that the religious leaders were so angry. I hope this doesn't happen this morning. But the religious leaders were so angry about the sermon that he preached that they drag him outside the city so they can stone him. And it says that they took off their garments and laid it, put it off 
at Saul's feet, Paul's feet. And they picked up stones and martyred Stephen. Now, the reason I think that's significant is because, could you imagine? Here is this man who is so angry at a sermon that was preached all about Jesus. And he drags Stephen outside the city. How is he going to lay aside his garment? Do you think he like, hold on one second. La da da, la da da, da da da, da da da. No, that's dumb. I mean, that's dumb to do just period, let alone if you're angry. So you, you know what must have happened. They drag Stephen outside the city. They, they do not want anything to hinder them from killing that man. And my outer garment, may, hey, it's going to throw off my throwing arm, and I may not be able to hit his head. So, hey, I'm going to have to take this thing off so I can, I can really do some damage. So they, in just this vehement, frustrating anger, they just they rip their outer garment off. They throw it at his feet. They pick up rocks, and they... What if we did that with sin? See, most of us look at sin and are like, oh, oh, bummer. I really want that. Put it aside. Oh, okay. Goodbye. Do you know what you're supposed to do with sin? You're supposed to rip that thing out of your life and could you imagine you pick up this baseball? Throw the baseball. Now, I can understand if I was throwing the baseball, that would probably happen. But, but, but could, you, could you imagine, could you imagine like a Micah? Oh, have you seen Micah? Oh, look at this. If Micah picked up a baseball and he would throw it, he could just go, and it would probably go at least a mile. <laughs> and boy, if he really put some effort into it, just, I mean, this thing would go. What would happen if you did that with sin? That sin wasn't just say, oh, I guess I'll give it up if I have to. What if you say, this is actually hindering my, re- my forward progression with Jesus. This is actually hindering my life with Christ. And I, I want nothing in my life that is actually going to stand between me and Jesus. So I'm going to rip this thing out of my life. I'm going to hawk it to the side. Of, it's not going to pick up sin in my life like a baseball. And I'm going to throw it as far away from my life as possible. Because I, I, can't, I can't have this in my life. That's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says. That we are to lay aside all sin that hinders us and run the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Well, how, how am I to lay aside sin? No. Have you done that? Or are you trying to keep that secret sin as close to you as possible? I, I won't touch it very often. Just, just when I have to. Sin is not to be in the Christian life, folks. God is holy. He's not like us. He's, he's other than. He's set apart. And he's called you to be an image bearer of his nature. And, and he wants you to be holy because he's holy. So that when the world looks at you, they go, I know exactly what your God is like. Because I can see his nature in you. Now, you're not God. Praise the Lord. You're not God. But 2 Peter 1.4 says that you get to be a 
partaker of the divine nature. You get to share his life, folks. And in his life, there's no sin. He can't sin. There's no spot or blemish in him. And so if I'm a Christian, I, I must throw off the former life. I must get rid of that thing and work with, through a process of sanctification where he's increasingly making me more and more like him. And that's probably going to take my whole life. The word renewed here is the same concept as Romans chapter 12, the transforming of your mind. And I, and I mentioned, to, mentioned to this crew that it's in the present tense. And what's really interesting about the Greek present tense is it doesn't mean it's a one and done thing, meaning, okay, I, I have been renewed. Praise the Lord, I am done with that one. The word, or the word renewed in the present tense means it's the ever present tense, meaning whenever you're in the present, this is to be the reality of your life. And I know that some of you are in the past, some of you are pondering the future, like, when are we going to be done and so we can have lunch? But you are living in the present. And Paul commands that whenever you're in the present, that you are to be renewed. You are to be sanctified. There should be a restoration. There should be a healing. There should be a holiness. There, there should be a consecration. There should be a renewal. There, there's a, there should be something going on in your life that is just making you more and more and more and more like Jesus. And it's throwing off more and more of that old lifestyle. So you have thrown off the old, but there's this constant renewal of him. Do you have that? And then he says this in verse 24, just like, let me ask the students. Students, because there's only one answer. What is the clothing we should wear? Jesus. <sighs> Aren't they smart? So think about this. I am to put off how I've always lived, which has always been about me. I, I am to throw off my old nature. I am to pick it up like a baseball and I'm to throw it as far from my life as possible because that, you've proven this, this does not work in your life. This causes chaos. This causes destruction. This causes pain in relationships. This, this causes death and damnation, folks. And Paul says, this is no longer who you are. So, so would you set this aside? Hey, will you just throw that off of you? And would you let the continual renewing of your life so you're being more and more conformed to the image of Christ and like a big overcoat, would you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? So something radical has changed. I no longer look like me. I no longer look like selfishness. I no longer look like the mindset of the world. Well, what am I supposed to look like? Jesus, if someone was to come up to you and they just watched how you live, they, they, they listened to how you talked, if they could somehow get inside your brain and see how you thought, if they saw the motives of why you were doing things, would they come to the absolute conclusion, whoa, you must be a Christian. Because I, I can't, I cannot explain your life in any other way but Jesus. Do you know what we call people who live like that? Yeah, we call those people Christians. See, Christians is not, 
I've done my religious duty. Christians is not, well, I went to church on Sunday. Christians is not, a, it's none of that kind of stuff, folks. What, what's Christianity all about? Jesus. And are you wrapped up in relationship and intimacy with him? Are you being conformed? Romans 8, 29. God's purpose and plan for your life is that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. Do you know what the word conformed means? I, I was using the illustration with the students of Play-Doh. And we've all played with Play-Doh. Don't look at me that way. You have played with Play-Doh. <laughs> I see the glimmer in your eye. You know what you do with Play-Doh? You, you know, you ever, have, you ever play with those plastic molds? And there's a certain kind of a mold and it has like an animal or something. And you take that Play-Doh and you shove that Play-Doh as hard as you can to squeeze it into that plastic mold. And anything that doesn't fit in the plastic mold, you cut out. That's the word that's used in the New Testament for conformed. Do you know what God's doing with your life? Romans 8, 28. He's using all things in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly for his purpose and plan. Well, what's his purpose and plan? He's going to pick you up like Play-Doh and shove you into a mold that looks just like Jesus. And anything that doesn't look like him, hey, anything in your life that's full of selfishness, hey, anything in your life that just doesn't just scream forth Jesus Christ, that is to leave. That has to be renewed. That has to be thrown off. Because Jesus and Jesus alone should be the reality and the definition and the explanation for our lives. Listen to what Isaiah said about this. In Isaiah 64, 6, he said, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds, hey, all of our attempt at holiness is like a filthy garment. And I don't know if you've ever done a study on that word, filthy garment. But it doesn't just mean like a dirty rag. And if you don't know what it means, ask Karsten. He's given a lecture on it, but it'll be later, but he's happy to do it. <laughs> or ask your pastor. But this idea is the best attempt at holiness, the best attempt at righteousness, that the best thing that I can pull off is but a bloody, just nasty, smelly garment. I just, I just, I want to throw it away. And we should. Because this is not based on your righteousness. This is not based on your works of holiness. This is not based on you at all. But listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 61 verse 10. He says, Woo! I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will rejoice in my God. Listen to this. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Do you know what he's talking about? Jesus. Jesus is my robe of righteousness, which I wear. He is my garment of salvation. And that is so phenomenal because do you know what the name Jesus even means? Jehovah saves. Jehovah is my salvation. That's the name Jesus. That's what it means. So here's Jesus who is God saves. Jehovah is my salvation. And Isaiah says, you know that coming Messiah, Jesus? Do you know what we're going to do with him? Oh, he, we are to wear him like a garment, that he becomes my garment of salvation. He becomes my righteousness. He becomes all that I need. And I've thrown off my own deeds. I've thrown off my own works. And I put on Jesus. Which means when you look at my life, you shouldn't see me. You should see Jesus. When I look at your life, I shouldn't see you. 
I should see Jesus. That he made you in the garden as an image bearer. That when the world looks at you, you are not to declare yourself. You are to lift high the name of God in your life. So much so that the onlooking world just goes, I need what you have. I, I need your God in my life. Can someone honestly say that about you? Can, can, can your coworkers, could, could your family, could, could your friends look at what God is doing in your life and is so overwhelmed by the reality of Christ that they just say, I don't know what it is that you've got. I, I don't know what it's going to take, but I, I want to give everything for just, just to have the same peace that you have, that the same joy that you have, that the same kind of love that you exhibit. Well, what is going on in your life? It just seems like the only explanation is Jesus. Can someone honestly say that about your life? And if not, do you know what you need? Jesus. And the solution to every single one of our problems is him. And would you allow him to do the work in your life? I don't know what you've trucked in this morning. I don't, I don't know what habits you have. I don't know what addictions you have. I, I don't know what thought process like the world you have. But folks, I know one thing. All of us can look more like Jesus. None of us are finished. And if you have junk in your life, would you allow the Spirit of God to bring a stirring and a conviction in your soul where you're like, God, I, I need to be done with all of this. I need a line drawn in the sand. Be, hey, behold, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God, would you just rip that garment off of my life of selfishness and sin? And God, would you begin to renew my heart and my mind and the realities of Christ where I become more and more and more and more like you? And Lord, would you just so fill me with your park of Jesus? Will you just this overgarment, this garment of salvation, this, this robe of righteousness, the reality of Christ. God, could you just put that on me and never let me out of that? And just, hey, will you just, in fact, will you just start shaping me and conforming me to the image of Christ so that when someone sees my life, they don't see me, they see you. And God, I give you permission to do whatever you want. Refine anything, change anything. Make me holy like you're holy. Do you have that attitude? Well, it seems uncomfortable. Well, it seems like things are going to have to change. Don't you want your life to change? I need my life to change. Hey, I've spent a lot of years going after Jesus, but I, I know one thing for sure. I need more Jesus today, folks. That I need to be renewed in my mind. That somehow I want to be conformed more to his image. I, I want to sink down into that overcoat called Christ evermore this morning. Don't you? Pray with me. And the pastor will come and close us. Uh, Jesus, Lord, I am confronted with the reality that when it says that the old is gone and the new has come, I actually don't want to get rid of the old. I, I want to cling. I, I want to hold tight to the, the things that I've always held dear. I, I want to hold on to my selfishness. I want to hold on to my pride. I want to hold on to my anger. I want to hold on to my lust. I want to hold on to my... I want to hold on to me. And yet, 
Lord, what would it look like if I laid that all aside? Not casually, but what if I could take sin like a baseball in my life and just huck that thing as far away from me as possible? Lord, I need the garments of salvation. I need a renewal of my mind and my heart. God, I want to look like Jesus in my world. That, 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 that the smell and the taste of my life that, that I leave in my wake would not be me, it would be you. Lord, could, could, could the robe of righteousness that I'm wearing. Heads are bowed. Where, where are you at this morning? What, what is it that you need to throw off? Well, what areas of your life do you need a, a renewing so you look more and more like Jesus? What, what areas of your life don't look like Jesus? And would you allow him to begin to cut those things away from your life and conform you, press you like Plato into a form that looks just like Jesus? Do you realize how phenomenal of an opportunity we have to partake and share in his life? That we don't have to look like the world anymore. That we can actually look like the living God. And we don't become God, praise the Lord. But somehow I get to share in that, the benefits of his life. Would you go after him? Or would you take your life and just lay it before him in an attitude of surrender? Or would you let him transform your heart and your mind? And would you just... That this isn't just a Sunday thing. This isn't just a, woo, Fuse Conference 2023 that the reality is this, is this is to be my everyday kind of living down on my streets, in my marriage, with my family, with my coworkers, down at my school. Hey, this should be the reality that I am ever more looking like Jesus. Would you go after him? Would you live in surrender? Lord, we need you. Because the answer isn't more duties the answer isn't gritting our teeth. The answer is you. So could all of us, Jesus, could you press us into greater relationship and intimacy with you and would you radically change our lives until we look just like you? Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. I pray that that message was not just a good informational dump. I, I pray it's not just a good nugget of truth and, and you nod along. You're like, yes, that's that's great. Rather, would you allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart and bring you to a place of repentance if there's anything in your life that you need to put off so that the Lord Jesus Christ can truly be that robe of righteousness that you wear day in and day out. Now, if you'd like to take any of these concepts even deeper, I've been walking through this section of, of verses in my Daily Thunder series that I'm currently in. So rather than one big overview message, I've been walking through each of these verses in seven, a little bit shorter, but a little bit of a deeper dive. And so if that is of interest to you, I'll put a link for that Daily Thunder series in the show notes. And you can find all of that at deeperchristian.com forward slash 286 for episode 286. And until next time, know I am cheering you on and praying for you as you continue to build your life around Jesus Christ. <laughs>